I'm Carly Fiorina, and this is By Example. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our special Thanksgiving special, Ask Me Anything, featuring both Carly and very special guest, Frank Fiorina. Last season's AMA was such a big hit, and our listeners want to know more. And we've got a great set of questions today from our listeners on social media. Carly and Frank, it's great to have you both in the studio today. Great to be here. It's outstanding to be here. Most of our listeners tuning in are familiar with how you both met. But for those who might be new to the show or to your story, can you each tell us what you remember about when you first met before we get into the listeners' questions? I could get in trouble over this one. (laughs) So we're definitely going to have you start then, Frank. Okay. The first time I saw Carly, I was with my boss, and she was with her boss. I had never met her before, and I thought she was quite attractive. And I had no choice but to tell her honestly that she had great-looking legs. It was a different time. (laughs) Now I think men would be afraid to say that. But uh, I... uh, thought he was really cute, a little cheeky, I must say. I was taken aback because I was sitting with my boss and this guy's telling me I have great legs, but he was very handsome. And then we didn't see each other for a really long time. I was working on a problem that a customer had. And those of you who know me know I like to solve problems and no one wanted to solve my problem. Everybody kept telling me to forget about this customer's problem and go work on something else instead, but I was determined. And so finally someone said, you know, you ought to go talk to this technical guy, Frank Fiorina. (laughs) Well, I could add to that because here's this young MBA walks into my little cubicle And it was clear that she had been turned down by AT&T corporate, the local operating company, her bosses, everyone told her to forget it. But she, she was so tenacious, I was incredibly impressed. It was clear she didn't have a clue what she was talking about. (laughs) But, But she knew what her customer needed, and she would not give up. So right off the bat, I was, I thought, wow, this this is pretty impressive. And I, on the other hand, thought he took me seriously. I have to, I mean, I admit we were sitting in the cubicle talking about, you know, uh, the customer's problem. And I mean, there was definitely chemistry, but we worked together and no, you couldn't (laughs) do that at all. So, but I remember thinking, being grateful, I guess, being really grateful that he took me seriously. And in the end, he solved the problem. And so I sometimes joke with people and say, well, you know, he took me seriously. He was really cute. So I had to marry him. (laughs) And that is the short form, but that's kind of the way it was. I mean, eventually we got over the trauma of, oh my gosh, are we going to date somebody that we work with? But by then he'd gone to a different subsidiary and we weren't in the same department. And so we figured out a way to say it was okay and started dating. She chased me for years. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> now you could ask about the argument of who asked who to get married, but you all know the answer. He asked me. Of course he did. Okay. <laughs> well, I love that story because I think it so encapsulates the like sweet, beautiful, and strong partnership I've been able to witness over the last couple of years working with both of you. So uh, I appreciate you sharing it. I'm sure our listeners do too. 
It was difficult to choose which questions to ask you both here, but I think given the timing of this episode, we'll start with one that's maybe top of mind this week. Pamela asks, how are you spending this Thanksgiving? Carly, why don't you start us off with this one? Well, uh, this Thanksgiving, we will be spending, as we usually do, with both family and friends. Uh, We usually have a collection of both family and friends around our Thanksgiving table. Uh, I love to cook. I love to cook Thanksgiving, actually. And Um, she's an amazing cook. (laughs) Testify to that. And so, um, you know, for me, Thanksgiving week is sort of I start with the grocery shopping and then I love to set a table. I love a beautiful table. I get that from my mother, I think. So then I have to get the table just right. And then I start cooking mm, two days ahead of time. And then we eat. And we sort of have a roving Thanksgiving because different people show up at different (laughs) times. So we have the first Thanksgiving dinner. And then we have the second Thanksgiving (laughs) dinner. And then maybe we have a third Thanksgiving dinner. So it's a lot of eating and a lot of family and friends. And it's a wonderful time. And Frank, you're from a really large Italian family. Can you talk a little bit about what that's like and what traditions that brings into the holidays? Well, coming from a large Italian family, all holidays are wonderful. And it's all about food and and being with each other. So every holiday brings back memories of growing up. I always like to say that I came from a pretty modest family, which meant we didn't have a lot of money, but I never knew that. I thought we were as rich as any king and queen. It was just, uh, it was a great childhood. When, you know, one of the first things I, re- this isn't exactly Thanksgiving, it's Christmas, but I remember the first Christmas that I spent with Frank's family. And because they're Italian, they would do the Italian tradition of the seven fishes on Christmas Eve. I found it totally disgusting, I must say. <laughs> Wait, as someone that's not familiar with the seven fishes, oh. can you? Well, Frank should tell this story, but no, please. <laughs> you you grew up with seven fishes. I, I never ate the seven yeah. fishes. <laughs> so seven fishes uh, it, it is a tradition that comes from, of course, the Bible story of the loaves and the fishes. But on Christmas Eve, traditional Italian families cook seven different kinds of fish. Wow. But because many Italian families did not have a lot of means, we're not talking salmon and (laughs) Chilean sea bass here. We're talking sardines. We're talking smelts. We're talking uh, calamari. Oh, I could do the calamari. Yeah. And so that's (laughs) the thing. It kind of smells really fishy in the house. And so I I didn't grow up with that tradition. So when I first was at a Christmas with Frank's family, it was like, pew, it stinks all (laughs) over the house because of the seven fishes. But as he says, it's all about, you know, for Italians, uh, people think I am Italian. I'm not. I feel I've achieved honorary Italian status because I married one. I speak it. I wave my arms a lot. You know, I should have been one. But (laughs) for Italians, love is food and food is love. And the more you have of both, the better off you are. So I was going to ask you both about your favorite part of the holiday. I can I can hear now that maybe it's not the seven fishes, <laughs> <laughs> what it represents, maybe. Um, I personally, to your point, Carly, I think food is love and love is food. I really like mashed potatoes. So maybe that sounds simple, <laughs> but that's my favorite part. So what about you guys? 
I love it all. That's the bad news. Uh, <laughs> and the desserts, oh my God, was one after another. It was just incredible. So it's just everything we've just said. It's uh, being together and just wonderful food. Do you have a favorite type of dessert? Are you a pie man, Frank? I love all desserts. That's my problem. <laughs> but I do love pies. I like pies too. He's a big pumpkin pie fan mm. at Thanksgiving. I, I'm not a pumpkin pie fan, actually. I never have been. But he really loves pumpkin pie. So we have to have a variety of pies, obviously. I love a good pumpkin pie, too. I, I have to say, you know, the holidays are a very happy time. They're a very busy time. I love the cooking part. I love the buying presents part. I love the setting table part. I love most of all being with everyone. But holidays can also be a bittersweet time. Hmm. And I know that there are a lot of people who get stressed at the holidays because they feel as though they're not supposed to feel sad. Hmm. But we all do feel sad sometimes at the holidays. I mean, Frank and I miss our daughter, especially at the holidays. I know he misses both his mother and father. I miss my mother and father. They've all uh, passed on. We miss the people that we can't be with. So I would call it a bittersweet time always. And do you have advice for people who might share that feeling about the holidays? Well, I think first to know it's normal. I think sometimes people feel this pressure to be happy all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, there's music and parties and da-da-da. And people aren't happy all the time throughout the holidays. Yeah. There are things that you think about that make you sad, memories perhaps that you treasure but that make you sad. And uh, so I guess I would say first don't be alarmed that you feel sad experience it and then don't sit alone hmm. with your sadness go be with people you care about and who care about you it's always the best antidote to sadness the holidays also tend to be a busier time for some families especially if there's travel involved and that always requires a lot of different commitments and parties to attend a few of our listeners asked us similar questions here around this topic Miss Miff and Casey Taps from Instagram know that you are a busy couple, even outside the holidays. So how do you relax and regroup after a busy time? What are your favorite things to do together and also separately, maybe, to unwind? Honestly, when we're not traveling or not busy, we just enjoy being home. Uh, nothing fancy, just being home. Now, in my case, <laughs> in addition to that, any chance I get, I love to be on the water. Mm. So it's, it's that simple. It's just nothing fancy, just being home. Or on his boat, whether, you know, he can go, he loves to be on his boat. And I will tell folks that he loves to be on his boat, even in the dead of winter, even when it's not going anywhere, <laughs> even when there isn't any water on the boat, he likes to sometimes just go to the boat. Some of you have heard the expression man cave. Well, Frank's boat is his man cave. And there are times when he goes to be on his man cave. But he's right. We just like to be at home. We used to have two dogs, as many of you know, Max and Snickers. Unfortunately, we lost Snickers earlier this year. So now it's just Max. But when the two of us are uh, by ourselves, we love to curl up with our dog, Max. And although Frank will laugh, even when we're eating at home, just the two of us, 
for an evening meal, I have to have candles lit on the table. <laughs> I love candlelight. I got that from my mother. My family laughs because every meal I have to have candlelight on the table. By the way, not those fake candles, real candles. Oh. And so even when Frank and I are having dinner by ourselves, nothing fancy, no seven fishes with Max barking around, less asking to lick our plates, we have to have candlelight. Can you tell me a little bit about the difference between a real candle and a fake candle? Okay, well, you know, now everyone has those candles that are, they're rechargeable, they're batteries, oh, and some oh, of them oh. are pretty good. Okay. I mean, they, they look nice, and I understand that they're certainly less of a fire hazard, and many restaurants and hotels use them now. Okay, so uh, as long great, as there's a yeah. real, real flame, that's a real candle. Yeah, real flame means it's a wax candle. You have to light it with a match or a lighter <laughs> of some kind. It burns down. And my sometimes our younger granddaughter says, "Well, Cece, that's such a waste." And I say, "No, no, no. A candle's purpose is to burn and give us beautiful light. It's not a waste." That is beautiful. A beautiful way to think about candles in a not so wasteful way. Frank, I know there's also a few fans out there among our listeners who want to know about one of your personal passions. And I'll be honest, I want to know about this one, too. Eric wants you to tell us a little bit about your band. (laughs) That's many, many decades ago. But it was was one of many jobs I had as a teenager. And it was one that I had a lot of fun at. Uh, But really, uh, it was just a great way to make some extra money and uh i i truly enjoyed it but my real passion is boating (laughs) even from way back then (laughs) that's why he's captain frank yes yeah i have a picture so frank played steel guitar bass guitar lead guitar all these guitars and he sang and but i have this picture of him and his band and what was the name of your band again hun Aristocrats. Aristocrats. Okay. So I have this picture of Frank and his band, the Aristocrats. It's awesome name. And they had dancers, uh, two girls, you know, in the in the tall white go-go boots and the big drum said the aristocrats on it. Man, those guys thought they were cool. We were cool. <laughs> Maybe we can like share a picture like that on our website. I'm looking at our producer now. She's giving the thumbs up, so I think we're in good shape. I'm going to shift focus just a little bit here and, Carly, ask you a question that we also had a couple folks um, submit about. It's just under a year out from the 2020 election, and some local elections just passed, so politics is on a lot of our listeners' minds. Alana and a few others want to know, what's your best piece of advice for a woman who wants to run for office? Well, the first thing I would say, interestingly, I was talking with a um, college freshman yesterday, as a matter of fact, and she was studying politics. And she said, I, I want to go into politics. So I will give the same piece of advice here that I gave to her. Do something else first. <laughs> Do something else first. And I say that because people who have done nothing but run for political office, hold political office, win political office have a relatively limited view of what everyone else is doing. And you're, I think, a better public servant if you have a broader set of experiences. Mm -hmm. So I am not discouraging you from running for office, not at all. It's a wonderful thing that you want to run for office. 
but do some other things first because you'll have a lot more understanding and empathy and be able to represent people more effectively if you do something else before you run for office. And to follow up on that, Frank, could you tell us a little bit about what it was like for you when Carly was running for president? I know that's when some of your fan following really took off. Our listeners and her supporters really love you. And were there any, was there anything you were particularly passionate about that uh, you and Carly got to work on together? Well, in all honesty, the, it was, first of all, it was a privilege to, to be able to support her through that process. But I, I have to say, I truly enjoyed going out by myself. <laughs> <laughs> Not a shocker to me. <laughs> I, uh, I, well, first of all, I enjoyed being able to talk about her and why I thought she should be president and why I was supporting her doing it because it would have changed our, our life, obviously. It was a big decision on both of our parts. Let me be honest. I had been out of the business for a long time in my career. I was used to being up on stage in front of sometimes hundreds of people. But to give a presentation to 3,000 people <laughs> and have all these women line up afterwards <laughs> to hug me, I thought it was pretty cool. <laughs> I think those women did too. <laughs> yeah, they definitely did. Well, Frank was awesome. And he did do a lot of stuff on his own, not with me. So, you know, I could just tell he had a huge fangirl following. <laughs> not that he, he did didn't that. have guys who... I mean, guys think Frank is cool, too, because he is. But he did like the all the women come up. Ooh. <laughs> There's one thing I have to say. By the way, I must say, my husband is a perfect gentleman. Don't get the wrong idea here with him telling me I have good legs. And I was on a radio program, and I'm, and I'm embarrassed to tell you, I can't remember which one. But we're riding along in the car because it was taped, and they were playing it. And the announcer comes on. And he says, well, we have coming up this great interview with Carly Fiorina's eye candy. <laughs> it made my year. <laughs> As I recall, he called me to tell me, guess what? I'm your eye candy. That's right. <laughs> Honestly, it feels like a missed opportunity that I didn't introduce this episode as Carly Fiorina and her eye candy. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> So maybe politics isn't always the best topic to bring to the table at Thanksgiving. So Carly, I wanted to ask you a couple questions about one of the philosophies you talk about in your book, Find Your Way, where um, you talk a little bit about the right and wrong questions maybe to ask folks, family members, girls and boys who are thinking about what they're doing next, college, finding a job. And I think you do an awesome job explaining a little bit about how to frame those questions in a way that doesn't focus folks on the destination mindset, but rather on the process and finding their way. Could you talk a little bit about that idea and how our listeners might bring it to the table this Thanksgiving or Christmas? Well, look, as we said, the holidays are happy times, but they can also be sad times. They're bittersweet. And the Thanksgiving table or the Christmas table or the holiday table can likewise be a time of great camaraderie and conviviality, but it could also be a time of stress mm -hmm. and tension because maybe people don't agree with each other. Or maybe you have family members or friends who you really only see once a year and it turns out you're diametrically opposed mm -hmm. in what you believe or you think differently about politics. And so there's there can also be a lot of stress and tension in a gathering where people feel 
pressure to get along Mm. and be happy. But in fact, what they're feeling is, oh my gosh, I don't want to be with this person Mm -hmm. because I can't possibly understand why they do what they do or why they think what they think or whatever. Do you think that's more prevalent in 2019 or do you think it's always kind of been like no, that? No, I think, well, people tell me they feel it more. Yeah. And I, I know more people who've lost friends over political disagreements mm-hmm. or lost family, you know, lost in touch with family over politics. So I do think it, the the feeling that we are more polarized and we take it more personally is real. Mm-hmm. My general advice, I guess, would be to try and find a little empathy. And what I mean by that is we tend, I think this is human nature, but we tend to judge others very quickly. And we make our judgments about other people based on things like what they look like, what their circumstances are, what letter do they have next to their name when they go vote, a whole set of things. And as soon as we make those judgments, we're basically saying, I'm not like you. I may not even like you at all. And so I don't want to know anything about you. That is a lack of empathy. Empathy says there's value in you and I want to find it. And the best way to find value in someone else is to ask questions in a way that is genuinely Mm. curious and caring. As an example, there are a couple different ways you can ask questions. One way to ask a question is a closed-ended question. A closed-ended question might be, will you vote for President Trump in 2020, yes or no? Mm. That's a closed-ended question, (laughs) and it will elicit a response, yes or no. Mm Mm-hmm. Then there are open-ended questions. An open-ended question might be, what do you think about politics in 2020? That's sort of a, somebody can go a lot of different places with that question. There's tone in questions, and tone matters. So, for example, you could say to somebody you're having Thanksgiving dinner with, You're not thinking about voting for Trump again in 2020, (laughs) are you? Well, okay, you've said it all with that question. And you're going to immediately elicit a fight and you're not going to learn a thing. So sometimes if somebody says something that you find really hard to understand or you disagree with totally, instead of biting your tongue in half or getting upset (laughs) with the person, maybe just try a genuinely curious, open-ended question like, tell me why you think that. Tell me why you feel that way. Gee, I'd like to learn more. What can you share with me? It turns out you might learn something more. And all the way back to the destination mindset, I found in life that when all else fails, ask an open-ended, genuinely curious and caring question, and you'll find something out that's going to help you take the next step. And I'll just say Carly in her book does actually outline, I think, some specific ways in which you can reframe some of these traditional questions. So uh, commonly at Thanksgiving, Christmas, other holidays and life events, folks ask, uh, where are you going to college? What job are you going to do? Very, to Carly's point, I think, somewhat close-ended questions. And she has some suggestions in her book on how to think about reframing those questions that I think, especially around the holiday, always a helpful reminder. Well, and you're reminding me, Casey, but, you know, it's 
it, the holidays can be very stressful times for people when they feel like they're going to get interrogated. Mm-hmm. Well, how's that boyfriend? Yep. Are you pregnant yet? Where <laughs> are you going to college? What's your next job? I mean, there are all these expectations for an update that's positive yep. and making progress. And people feel this pressure to perform. I need to give Absolutely. all the right answers here to my friends and family. And so that can feel like a lot of stress. Sometimes, honestly, I would say as someone who frequently didn't know where I was going as a young person, don't be afraid to answer the question honestly and say, you know, I'm really struggling with that. I really don't know. Do you have any advice? Number one, people always love to give you advice. Number two, (laughs) the pressure will come off you and you won't have to answer for a while because somebody will be talking to you. And number three, you might get some good advice. And you're both grandparents, so around the holidays, as folks think about advice and and ways to talk and interact with the next generation, do you guys have advice? Is there advice you've given your granddaughters that you could share with others that are listening now? I would give any young individual, granddaughters or others, (laughs) the same advice my dad gave me. Get a job, work hard, doesn't matter what the job, just be the best at it. And, and your life will be wonderful. You'll be happy, and people will see that and drag you along. And, and that's certainly what happened with me. And to a large extent, I'd say the same thing of Carly. Yeah, it's funny. When young people ask me for advice, I, I always say the same thing. Get a job, any job. It doesn't matter what the job is. If you do a good job, if you work hard at it, if you get to know the people around you in that job, You're going to learn a lot about yourself. You're going to learn a lot about other people. You're going to learn a lot about the world. And if you do a good job, opportunity will knock. It's such a simple thing. But I think there's a lot of pressure now, particularly, like I see it in our granddaughters, you know, all this pressure to always perform, to always be at their best, to always know what comes next. And I've said to each one of our granddaughters when they've gotten performance anxiety or, you know, I said, look, the most important thing is that you do the very best that you can, that you bring all of yourself to the opportunity or to the job at hand, and that you do the right things for the right reasons to the best of your ability. And if you do all those things, it's going to work out. Carly gave me that same advice when I had some performance anxiety <laughs> two weeks ago around a workshop, and I was very grateful for it. So, And you did an awesome job. Well, I don't know about that, but I was grateful for the I advice. I do. <laughs> Before we wrap up, um, Frank, I wanted to talk with you quickly about your support for Carly over the years. At one point, and I think I have this right, there were people that commented that it was really controversial that you left your job at the time to support Carly when she became CEO of HP. What was going through your head, and how did you navigate that decision with your family? It was an interesting topic, if you will, at the time, because there were two camps. There were people that were just absolutely jealous that I could just not have to work anymore, Mm. which is a joke, by the way, (laughs) and uh, enjoy the rest of my life. Then there was this other camp that looked at me like I had four eyes and said, what, are you crazy? You're giving up this great career, this great job. But it didn't, uh, honestly, I didn't think that way. I, I felt like, first of all, I was happy, very happy with what I had accomplished in my career, much more than I ever expected. So I didn't feel like I was giving up 
my career. Honestly, Carly had supported me and my two children time and time again. So it was my turn to support her. So I, it was an easy decision. Uh, we had commuted for four and a half years at one point because wow. both of us had big jobs. And we, we weren't going to do that again. Mm. So it was a simple decision. He's being too modest. It wasn't <laughs> that simple, particularly because it was simple for him, but the consequences, I think, were not simple for him because particularly men of our generation or parents' generation, it wasn't done. I mean, I was the first woman to lead a Fortune 50 company, but, you know, there just weren't many examples of men who gave up their career to support their wife's career. That's it's right. more common now, perhaps, although still not common, but then it was very rare. In fact, I got asked about it a lot in media interviews. Oh my gosh, you're husband quit his job. But the vignette that, I, that I'll share to illustrate that it wasn't so simple, the consequences, and I am forever grateful for his generosity in making that decision, because it made all the difference in my mm -hmm. career and in my life, is my dad, here I am, his daughter, I'm becoming a CEO, and my dad expresses concern, doubt. Well, well, what do you mean Frank is quitting his job? I mean, well, I don't know if I understand that. What's he going to do? I mean, he was, as a man, he couldn't wrap wow. his head around it. And it actually took him maybe five years of observing and watching. And I'll never forget one day he said to me, you know, Carly, I really, really appreciate Frank. I mm -hmm. understand now why he did what he did, and why you love him so much. He is an exceptional man. And for my dad, that was the most expansive compliment he could give. But he had to work his way through mm -hmm. what that meant as a man for a man. Frank did a little bow that our um, listeners can't see, but I'll <laughs> recap it for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you both uh, for being here today. It's been incredible, as always, to talk to you and give our listeners a little bit of an inside look at how you both work and celebrate life together. Carly, do you want to leave our listeners with any thoughts as they head into a brief pause over this Thanksgiving weekend? A brief pause is the right way to say it. First, I wish all of you a wonderful time of togetherness and gratitude. That is what Thanksgiving should be about, a time to be together and to be grateful for all that you share and that we all have. I think we underestimate the value of a pause. We are all so fixated on busy and activity and responding and reacting. And I, I feel like sometimes people hold up how busy they are as an example of the quality of their life or an example of the importance of themselves. And the truth is, I think sometimes people are afraid of a pause. They're afraid of that several hour period when perhaps they are undistracted and they pause and think and be and express gratitude and show love. And yet, 
I think those pauses in life are incredibly important to make us stronger, to ground us in gratitude, and to refresh us for the next phase. That's all for now. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can visit carlyfiorina.com or iTunes for more episodes. And make sure you subscribe to By Example so you never miss an episode. To receive updates and exclusive offers, text By Example to 345-345. And while you're at it, you can send us feedback on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Carly Fiorina or by email at byexample at carlyfiorina.com. As always, thanks so much for tuning in. I'm Carly Fiorina, and this is By Example.